Welcome to BST Talk number 193. It's Friday, July 2nd, 2010. First, I just wanted to mention that the New York City BST Conference has published their call for papers. You can see their website for more details at www.nycbstcon.org. Now on to the interview. This one is another one from BST Can 2010. Okay, we're sitting here with Colin Percival at BST Can. 2010. Thank you for taking some time to speak with me. Happy to be here. And you gave a talk during this conference about cryptography. Uh, what was the general thesis or the, the gist of that talk? Well, the, the title of the talk was Everything You Need to Know About Cryptography in One Hour. And uh, this was somewhat inspired by a number of blog posts and also talks that I've seen where people have said basically cryptography is, is really difficult, nobody should ever be writing their own cryptographic code, look at all the ways people can do things wrong. And there are a lot of ways that people do things wrong, uh, but there's also a lot of very easy ways to do things right. Uh, cryptography is a very big field, there's a lot of very active research, but most of that doesn't actually affect most people. There's a sort of safe, small corner of the field where as long as you don't need to do anything unusual, you can stay within that corner, use well-understood methods, and pretty much be safe. I know for me, I often think that to be a cryptographer or to to really think about it, you have to be a mathematical genius. But I guess as long as you're using well-known algorithms, then it's not so bad. Well, it's like any any other new field. Uh, Yeah, if you want to be a a cryptographer, uh, you need to to know a lot of mathematics. Just like if you want to be an airplane designer. You need to know a lot about physics. Uh, But these days you can go out and buy a small aircraft and, I don't know, 50 hours, 100 hours of training, you can start flying it around on your your own. Um, So simply using the work is a lot easier than actually developing it in the first place. Is this education part of your hope that cryptography will be used more pervasively in our software today? I'm not really sure that we need to be using cryptography more pervasively. I think most places where we need to be using cryptography, we are already using cryptography. I'm not part of the fringe groups which say we should encrypt every bit that we send over the internet. That will take a lot of CPU power, and almost all of my email is unencrypted. And there's, there's two reasons for that. First, because it's a nuisance to decrypt mail, uh, to type in my passphrase every time I get, I get a, an encrypted email. Uh, and second, any time you use cryptography, uh, you're exposing the keys you're using for it. Uh, I like being able to sit at a conference and check my email and not need to worry about, if I type in my passphrase now, can someone looking over my shoulder see that passphrase? And how are we doing in general when it comes to cryptography? Is it uh, too difficult? Or is it something that uh, if people want to use it, it's generally easy to get done? I think there needs to be more education about telling people uh, how to do things, which, which tools they should be using. Uh, of course, like most fields, the latest 
hot idea is the one that gets all the attention. But with cryptography, you know, just like if you're, say, designing a car, uh, you don't want to be always want to always be using the latest hot thing. You want to be using the things that are have been around for a while, have been well studied. You know, we we understand that we know that they're safe. And, and how are you working with the BSDs and, and cryptography? What what kind of are you writing code, or are you mostly writing documentation, or doing theory? Well, my my work on on cryptography and my work with BSD are particularly related. I, I'm the FreeBSD security officer, uh, so there are times when things come up, say with SSL or OpenSSH, uh, where knowing about cryptography certainly is very useful. Um, at the same time, for most of those issues, there are, are other people who could provide the, the necessary cryptographic background. Where it has been more useful, actually, is the utilities I've written for FreeBSD, being FreeBSD Update and PortSnap, which are, are respectively uh, software for updating the FreeBSD system and for updating the ports tree. Knowing about cryptography uh, made it a lot easier for me to set these up so that they would be secure systems um, because, of course, if you're downloading updates to your, your base system that you're going to be installing, you want to make sure that you actually get the real binaries which the security team builds rather than just some binary that someone stuck up on a mirror somewhere and you, you don't know if it's the real one or not. You mentioned FreeBSD Update and PortSnap, two, I think, very uh, interesting tools to me uh, because I'm a lazy system administrator. <laughs> uh, maybe you want to describe some of those those tools and, and, and what, what they can do for people who, who don't want to be compiling everything necessarily. Well, I mean, you, you say that you're a lazy system administrator. I, I am also a lazy system administrator. That's actually why I wrote FreeBSD Update and PortSnap in the first place. Um, I, I didn't like going through the whole CVSUP, build world, build kernel, install kernel, install world process. So I figured, well, it shouldn't be all that hard to replace it by binaries that get built once and then push out to everywhere. Uh, that was actually how I got started with FreeBSD. Now, how, how they work, uh, well, FreeBSD update, it, it, as I say, uh, binaries are built by the FreeBSD security team. Um, they are then cryptographically signed, they get pushed out to a mirror, uh, and then when we do the, uh, when, when, when we push out a, a security advisory, uh, those binaries are then made available to everybody. You run FreeBSD update, it tells you these are the files that need to be updated, it has downloaded the, the updates, and you just say FreeBSD update install. It will install the new files, and then if there's a new kernel, it will tell you you, you, need, to up, you, you need to reboot the system into the new kernel. Uh, PortSnap is a, a system for securely downloading uh, and extracting, updating a ports tree. I have a, a box that runs in the FreeBSD cluster, uh, which every hour or so uh, gets updates from the, the FreeBSD root um, ports repository. Uh, it then sort of packages these all up. It also builds index files, which are very useful for the FreeBSD ports tree. Cryptographically signs everything again, pushes the bits out to a mirror. Um, whenever you want to update your ports tree, you just say port snap fetch, which downloads bits uh, into varDB port snap and then port snap update, which takes those bits from that directory and then updates user ports. Uh, I, I decided to do this in two steps because often you want to be doing the actual downloading from a cron job um, to make sure that you always have a fairly up-to-date copy of the ports tree. But if you're in the middle of doing a build in the ports tree, 
and then PortSnap comes along and starts deleting ports from the tree because it wants to extract a new version of them, uh, you can very easily run into problems. Somehow make is not happy when the directory it's making disappears. Uh, so I usually advise people to run the, the port snap fetch from a cron job, but then only port snap update manually. And this has been around, I guess, for a couple versions of, of FreeBSD. In general, has it been working well? Is there a lot of breakage, a lot of changes that you've had to make to these utilities? They've been remarkably stable. Uh, the only major fix I've needed to make uh, is with FreeBSD 8, uh, we changed the way that we ship documentation on release ISOs. Uh, it used to be that the FreeBSD documentation was provided uh, as a, a tarball on the ISO along sort of next to the base system binaries. Um, those have now been moved into packages separately. Um, this broke a couple scripts on the, the FreeBSD update server because it was expecting to find the documentation files there and they weren't there and then even if you tell it there's nothing here then it tries to pipe nothing to tar and then tar says you didn't give me anything to extract but uh, that was just a, a couple lines of, of fixes on the FreeBSD, FreeBSD update server and nothing needed to be changed on the, the client side. And is this just for installing security fixes and updates, or can you actually do version release updates with these tools? You can actually do uh, version update uh, upgrades um, with FreeBSD update now. Uh, when I first wrote it, it was only for security and errata patches, but in, I think, 6.3... Uh, was the first release wh where it supported doing uh, upgrades up from one version to the next. I imagine it could be a, a scary thing to do the first time you try it, but... Uh. Yeah, but it, it, it works. I mean, there are ways that you can cause problems if you deliberately go out of your way to confuse it. Or if you start inserting sim links, if you, you move slash etc somewhere else then it might not realize that these are configuration files and it might just clobber over them instead of merging changes. But as long as you're not trying to confuse it, it's it's very difficult for it to go wrong. And you mentioned merging changes. I imagine that's probably one of the most difficult parts of this because you never know what people have done to their config files. And it's not just the default configuration file merges, but also as... You know, between releases as the config files themselves have completely new configuration options. How, how do you handle that situation? Um, more or less, I don't handle it. Uh, the, the way that, that FreeBSD update works for configuration files, it will fetch the old version from the release that you, you used to be running, the, the clean version from, from the release. It will fetch the clean version from the new release. Uh, then it will run the, the merge three command, which does a three-way three merge. If that works, then it will present you with a, a diff saying this is how changes have been merged into this file. If it doesn't work, then it will just say, help, I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to open up an editor for you. Please fix it. And besides these projects, are you working on, on any other projects within FreeBSD? Uh, not within FreeBSD at the moment, uh, although I'm, I'm looking at setting up a, a new way of doing package builds, uh, which will be hopefully a bit more secure than the current system. Um, once I've done that, I'll, I'll also be looking at signing the packages which get built. Uh, outside of FreeBSD, I'm spending most of my time working on the Tarsnap online backup service that I've set up. This has been more or less my full-time job for the past three and a half years. Okay, so you say online backup. What do you mean by that? Uh, it means 
you have data on your computer, you want to make sure that if your house burns down, you do not lose that data. So you have an internet connection, you send that data over the internet, and I store it for you. I see. So storing people's tar files, but well, not 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 just tar files. I see. Um, I mean the. The name TarSnap obviously suggests it, that there's tar involved. Um, TarSnap actually has a, a tar front end. It's, it's built on top of the BSD tar utility, the libarchive um, library, which it uses. And it gives you essentially a tar command line. So anything on your system, you can say, I want to create an archive from these directories, these files. You can say, include these patterns. You can say, exclude these patterns. You can tell it to respect the no-dump flag, all, all the things that, that Tara can do for you. Um, but instead of creating an, an archive file locally, it sends it online. I see. And circling perhaps back around to the, the talk that you gave here at this conference around cryptography, I assume that when people are shipping information to you, it's actually being uh, encrypted. And so you're... Yes, yeah, so of, of course. Uh, uh, when, I, when I started looking at this, uh, it was late 2006, and I, I wanted good backups for my, for my own personal use. As FreeBSD security officer, I have information that I don't really want to have get out. You know, FreeBSD vulnerabilities we haven't issued security advisories for. Uh, also, vulnerabilities that affect several different vendors. You know, I, I usually find out about vulnerabilities in OpenSSL before they're public because these all get coordinated between different operating systems. We all agree how it should be fixed and when the advisories should go out. So I, I didn't want to run the risk that my backups would lead to someone finding out about a, a, an OpenSSL or some other vulnerability before people are supposed to find out about them. So I looked around for, for good, secure backups, and I really couldn't find anything. Now, it happened because of my work on FreeBSD Update and PortSnap and also the BSDIF binary patching tool that I wrote for FreeBSD Update. Uh, I, I had a sort of fairly good idea of how to go about doing a backup system, um, thinking about how files tend to change from one version to the next, how to make things efficient. So I figured, I can do this. It isn't out there yet. Maybe other people will want it. I asked a lot of my friends. Uh, I put up a, a blog post about it. And lots of people emailed back to say, we'd love to have this please go ahead and, and build it, and, and we will pay to use it. So I figured I might as well build it and see if they come, and so far they have been coming. You must be storing a lot of data. It's growing slowly. Um, it's growing, which is a good thing. Uh, mm. it, it, it's not as large as I would like it to get yet, but at the same time it, it's starting to reach a point where I need to think seriously about scalability. Some of the things, some, some, some of the, the things on the server side, when I first implemented them, I figured, well, you know, this this is very easy, safe way of doing things. It's it's definitely going to work. It's not going to be, going to be very very high performance, but I can fix that later. And now is the later I need to go about fixing things. And what was your first exposure to the BSDs? My first exposure to BSDs was in I think 1998, maybe 1999, uh, when my parents got a cable modem. And we wanted to all have access to the internet at the same time. We had an old computer, which we installed OpenBSD on. Set that up as a uh, NAT box. And I can't remember exactly why, but 
that box stopped working a couple months later. We needed to reinstall. And I decided the OpenBSD installer was really difficult, and the FreeBSD installer was a lot easier. So I installed FreeBSD instead. And that is essentially why I'm running FreeBSD now rather than OpenBSD. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in mathematics, but over the course of that degree, slowly drifted towards computing. Um, I made a name for myself back in 2000 when I announced that the quadrillionth bit of pi was zero. Uh, this was a, an online computation with about 1,700 machines, each computing part of a series, which I then added up. Um, they're, they're partial sums. So it was a fairly traditional distribu distributed computing approach. Um, I then went off to Oxford to do my graduate degree in computing, and the project I was initially planning on working on was essentially to, to extend the distributed computing approach to m more serious problems, uh, problems which aren't as embarrassing in parallel, problems where you need to have data moving between nodes rather than being simply from the controller out to the c computational nodes and then back to, to the controller. As I was working on this, I started thinking about the fact that I need to get people to give me their computing power. They will be running code that I have written for them, which will be talking to my server, and they will probably be very unhappy if I end up doing something that results in people breaking into their computers. So I started thinking about security a lot at that point, and in particular the security of the box that was going to be controlling everything. This box was going to be running FreeBSD because that was the BSD I was familiar with. So I wanted to make sure that FreeBSD was as secure as possible, and this meant every time there was a security vulnerability, I had to go and patch the box as quickly as possible, and you know, doing these build worlds, build kernels, started to be a bit of a nuisance. I figured, you know, I might as well make this better, and then I wrote FreeBSD free update. I presented it at uh, BSDCon 2003 um, in California, and then a few months later, um, I was offered a commit bit and immediately joined the FreeBSD security team and sort of from that point onwards started moving FreeBSD updates towards the base system. It didn't actually get into the base system until 2006. Great. Well, thanks for taking some time out of, out of the conference today to, to speak with me and uh, hopefully you'll be able to get out and uh, catch a few of the last remaining talks. I will. All right. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 193.